Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Here we go. Thanks for joining us on AOA. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We'll get updates today on the battle in Congress over conservation funding. Big increases being proposed, but how to pay for them. We'll talk with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. A lot of um, questions about the markets right now as they have been moving down recently. What's behind that and what's the outlook? We'll talk with Kent Beadle, market analyst for CHS. And we're approaching World Pork Expo after being... Uh, off for two years for African swine fever and then COVID. It's back this year at the Iowa State Fairgrounds, an in-person event for the pork industry. World Pork Expo coming up next month. We'll talk with the manager of the event, Doug Fricke, a little bit later on in today's program to see how things are going, plans are going for this year's World Pork Expo. But we started off with some dairy news today. Earlier this week, U.S. Trade Representative Ty announced that the U.S. is requesting a dispute panel to challenge Canada's operation of dairy tariff rate quotas that it agreed to under USMCA. Joining us now from the National Milk Producers Federation, Shauna Morris, who heads up their trade team. Shauna, thank you for joining us. Um, I know that this is good news that uh, the action is being taken for a dispute panel challenge. The not good news is that Canada has uh, continued with uh, policies that we hoped USMCA would uh, resolve when it comes to dairy. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, You're right on both accounts. Uh, We're delighted with the news this week. It's been a long time coming and one that dairy farmers and processors from all across the country have been really eager to see a move forward uh, to actually enforce our rights under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. On your last point, it is disappointing, you know, that we have to go through this dispute settlement process just to actually get the agreement terms that were so painstakingly negotiated for. But I have to say, unfortunately, it's not a huge surprise. Uh, Canada on dairy has the longest track record of working to push the envelope and and evade some of their commitments. Um, I think what's most remarkable here is simply the U.S. desire to not tolerate that as shown by Ambassador Ty's decision to move ahead this week. So basically, for those not familiar with what we're talking about here, Canada's policies that are in place basically make it difficult for us to export into that market. Is that right? That's right. Uh, One of the key problems with how Canada has handled their dairy market access and tariff rate quotas has especially been the fact that they've awarded the lion's share of the ability to bring in product under USMCA to their processors. So 80 to 85 percent of that going to Canadian processors. That leaves out others along the supply chain, whether it's uh, a bigger share for distributors, any access for retailers, etc. The upshot of that being we don't have full usage of a lot of these tariff rate quotas. There's not as much volume going in as we want to see. And then impacts on the value, you know, what the product mix is that's brought in 
and how that gets shaped by having only one part of the supply chain have almost all of the access opportunities. So the U.S. has requested a three-person panel to judge this case. How long might this take? Well, under USMCA, there was a big focus put on helping to expedite the process for hearing cases like this. So the next couple months here, we'll be focused on putting that panel uh, together and getting the case off the ground. We expect that we could see a ruling this fall, though, even, uh, particularly because dairy is a perishable product. Uh, and so it's eligible for being able to take advantage of some of the fast-track provisions under USMCA for products that are perishable. So there could be a ruling, you say, by this fall, but then typically would, if even if the ruling is in favor of the United States, then I, I suppose China, uh, China, Canada would be given a certain amount of time then to comply. Is that right? Canada would have the opportunity to uh, to comply, correct, um, and enter into resolution. So I'd say, you know, we're hopeful that either later this year or next year is when, you know, assuming Canada refuses to change until the case runs its course, that we'd actually see changes made on the ground in terms of the access here. All right, let's look at two scenarios here. One, if the U.S. wins the case and Canada it has to make, is told they have to make changes, what if they don't make any changes? So the hammer uh, that USMCA provides is that the party, that the other country can retaliate effectively. Uh, so if Canada refuse to, refuses to make changes, uh, then the case, the, the party, uh, sorry, the arbiters here in the case, the judges that have heard it essentially, will decide, well, how much is this Canadian decision worth? You know, how much is it impacting trade? And then the U.S. gets authorized the ability to levy tariffs on that much worth of product from Canadian exports to the U.S. Obviously, that's not where we hope this ends up. Uh, you know, we hope that this drives Canada to comply and simply uphold its end of the deal here. But that's the threat that helps to drive compliance and drive changes if the other country doesn't want to do it. And if we lose the case, then do we have any other recourse at that point? I don't think that we'll lose the case. I, I think USGR has done a really good job of laying out the clear legal violations here, um, but it is for the court to decide now. Uh, and, and their findings will be uh, what's, uh, what stands. And, and it is a possibility, you never know when you go to court, um, that, uh, that they might not uh, find on our favor. Again, I, I think that's highly unlikely given the good work that USGR has done to lay out the problems mm -hmm. here and how it violates USMCA, though. So having an agreement like USMCA does not prevent these kind of disputes from happening, but does uh, create and have the mechanism to address them. And that's what we're talking about here. Exactly. And I'd add that, you know, we really see this as being important, not just for the particular issue that we're talking about here. So in our view, this isn't just uh, significant for dairy access into Canada, but it's really significant for all of ag across all of USMCA, you know, demonstrating that there's a clear commitment to strongly enforcing and using those mechanisms to bring about compliance by Canada and Mexico in the ag space, I think is a really important signal since dairy in Canada aren't the only ag trade problems we have in the USMCA context. There's a lot of other issues, whether it's in Mexico or, or some other topics in Canada 
for that matter as well, where we hope this sends the signal that if you're not complying, there's going to be consequences. Yeah, a real test, first real test for USMCA and uh, very important for the agreement moving forward. So we'll watch it closely. Shauna, thank you for explaining it for us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Shauna Morris, she heads up the trade team for the National Milk Producers Federation. All right, a battle in the Senate Ag Committee over increases in conservation funding amounts and how to pay for them. We'll talk about that with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, President of Missouri Farm Bureau, Garrett Hawkins. Agriculture has pushed for years for infrastructure improvements. Then you get proposals now that seem to address some of those issues, but along with it comes how to pay for it. Where do you stand on this, and how do you see the pluses and minuses of what's being proposed right now? I've heard a lot of our members use the acronym SSDD. Same story, different day. Seems like here we go again through the years that all of a sudden we talk about death being a tax event. That is the fundamental issue that we're talking about. And the administration has put forth a plan, a multifaceted plan, but the piece that we're most worried about is elimination of stepped-up basis and then what the plan is to impose capital gains tax at death. While they've tried to tell agriculture, hey, don't worry, we're still having this fundamental conversation and trying to talk about fairness and legacy in terms of what we do in agriculture. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. 
Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so an interesting battle in the Senate Ag Committee. Uh, Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow wants to have a historic increase in conservation spending as part of a climate and infrastructure package. Uh, But the top Republican on the committee says she's prematurely trying to reshape farm bill programs without Republican input. Interesting battle here over the amount for conservation as well as how to pay for it. Let's talk about it with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to kind of sneak out of the office, at least virtually for a little (laughs) bit, and very much appreciate uh, what you do to keep everybody informed out there. Well, thank you. So what do you think of this battle? I mean, uh, obviously more money for conservation. Uh, I think most in agriculture would say that's a good thing. Uh, But there are some concerns about the pay-fors here. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think you've you've said it all pretty much uh, right where we are. Uh, You know, we have not taken, we at American Farm Bureau, we have not taken a position on this yet. As you noted, we uh, strongly support uh, voluntary incentive-based types of conservation programs and things that help producers improve productivity, et cetera, on the farm. But at the same time, whether you're talking, you know, 50 billion, that's like over the past week, it's gone from 50 to 100 to 200 billion. <laughs> Mike, even if it's $5 billion, the question comes up, how does it get paid for? Because we know uh, with, with a fair degree of certainty that Congress from both, uh, both sides of the aisle are going to be watching for every dollar that gets spent. And I think agriculture in particular is, is going to be under the microscope. And how this gets paid for, particularly as, as uh, you know, some of the legislation moved forward uh, or some of the proposals talking about taxes being used to pay for this, uh, that, you know, that could easily undo whatever benefit might come out of these programs. You know, you're looking at, well, you know, protecting stepped-up basis, protecting, you know, against uh, capital gains at death, and just certainly protecting the estate tax provisions. And that's just one particular area we're looking at. What do you make of the argument that uh, Chairwoman Stabenow is reshaping the farm bill and not getting input from the Republican side? Do you think this has farm bill implications? Well, it absolutely has farm bill implications. And I believe, Mike, uh, you know, I've not to sound like the old guy on the call here, but um, you know, my first farm bill was the 1985 farm bill. So you have the 85 farm bill was focused, you know, and put together in the midst of a major uh, credit crisis among farmers and ranchers, uh, you know, with interest rates 15 to 20 percent and all kinds of issues going on with market prices. The 90 farm bill, the economy, ag economy had improved. And there was a tremendous focus in that farm bill on conservation, on forestry, on the environmental side of the equation. The 96 farm bill made big changes because of budget efforts to shut things uh, down in terms of, you know, expenditures and a $13 billion cut out of what was then a $50 billion uh, to $60 billion farm bill. So as you go through each farm bill that has come on, 
that I have had had the opportunity to uh, or the privilege of working on. Every one of these farm bills has a different personality, and my my gut tells me and and indications are that Ms. Stabenow is going to bring a major focus on conservation and related environmental issues as evidenced by the money that uh, she is suggesting needs to be on the table. And I think, uh, you know, Senator Bozeman, from his position as the ranking member on the committee, uh, is putting it out there that, you know, the chairwoman is working on things that we need to be part of, we being the Republican side of the aisle, and he's making that clear. Democrat members, I'm sure, are telling Ms. Stabenow, we have some ideas as to how this should go forward. So this is a bit of the process that sometimes can drive, uh, you know, folks nuts, particularly if they're watching outside of D.C. But the critical part of this is that uh, I think we are working toward uh, a new ranking member uh, and Ms. Stabenow newly, uh, again, as chair of the committee uh, and the close, you know, um, I guess margin, if you will, basically a 50-50 Senate and them doing a little bit of work as to how we are going to work together uh, in hopefully a bipartisan fashion to get things done. And so I think Mr. Bozeman is asserting himself on behalf of his side of the aisle, and, and Ms. Stabenow is, is laying out that uh, as chair she wants to set the agenda. So this is going to be great for, for folks who like to, you know, the political science of it and for folks who like to see things get done. Uh, it may be a little maddening at times while things sort themselves out. We're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. What about the uh, the proposal to increase or the attempt to enroll 4 million more acres in CRP, basically by increasing payment rates and incentives? Uh, the question keeps coming up. I mean, are there 4 million more acres out there that are environmentally sensitive that need to go into CRP, or are you, or are you just taking good land out of production? What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is one where we take a good, hard look at it in our policy, our grassroots policy that our members have set forward. You know, we put a cap on how many acres we think ought to be in CRP. Uh, the $4 million that's being talked about would fit under that cap that we have in policy at this time. I think, Mike, what we're also seeing, in, and, you know, I know a lot of folks, uh, you know, tune in to you just to hear what's going on in the marketplace. And I think when we go back to where markets were, you know, six months ago, even a year ago, and look at where they are today, uh, I think that that difference, those incentives that join up with CRP uh, because of the revenue stream that might provide the farm compared to where market prices are now, I think that's something that farmers, livestock producers are constantly wrestling with. And so for the farmers that may have land that may qualify for CRP, I think right now they're taking a look at things and going, you know, I'm not sure I want to tie my land up uh, when market prices finally after, you know, seven, eight years here into kind of a down cycle are starting to come back. Well, these are interesting times in which we live. It's hard to imagine that an increase in in funding for conservation programs would be controversial, but uh, that's really <laughs> what it has become. I mean, uh, uh for so many years, we've talked about the need for more funding for conservation programs. And yes, there's a need there, but it's a huge uh, debate over the amount, how the money will be spent, and how to pay for it. Yes, Mike, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head. And I think I'd add one more component to like how the money would be spent and what is the nature of those programs. I think if you know any dollars that are focused on 
on voluntary incentive-based programs are going to be uh, looked at with, uh, you know, uh, a very balanced eye as to how, you know, what it, what is the trade-off, what is the cost. Uh, but I also need to point out that, you know, conservation programs that come with mandates, uh, you know, come with the kind of fish hook deals that, uh, you know, put more onus, more regulatory burden on farmers uh, who are already stretched very thin um, relative to having, uh, you know, more red ink than, than black ink uh, and trying to get, you know, back to a profit margin that, that works for them and their bankers, uh, those mandates are going to be really tough, tough to swallow regardless of how the, the pay for take care of, of the numbers. Mm-hmm. And it remains to be seen how this plays out. Democrats could uh, decide to move the legislation through budget reconciliation, right? Then they wouldn't need Republican votes in the Senate to get it passed. Well, they they wouldn't. But, you know, again, with a, a, a 50-50 Senate, um, Mike, um, and true regardless of whether it's uh, Republicans or Democrats, you don't have to go back that many Congresses and, and see, you know, when the Republicans were in a very similar close margin kind of thing that, that you need, you're trying to get things done and you create... Um, you know, too much partisanship, um, then other matters that need to be taken care of become very difficult to move, you know, either direction. And so this is one where, you know, President Biden has indicated he wants, you know, more bipartisanship. um, And it's going to take a while to get, you know, that process, you know, working um, diligently on the Hill, because both sides are, you know, wanting to establish that they can stand up for their side of the aisle. And I think similarly on, on the House side, it's not just on the Senate side, but you have a relatively narrow margin comparatively to how it's been in past Congresses. So I think that there is, at least from my standpoint, uh, you know, hope that, uh, you know, bipartisanship uh, can once again become, uh, make it safe for members of Congress uh, on either side of the aisle to come down and sit at a table in the middle of the playing field. Well, we'll see where it goes. Dale, thanks for the update. Good to talk with you again. Anytime, Mike. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to visit with you today. All right. Take care. Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right. We continue our look at the markets and what's happening there as uh, they've cooled here in recent days. What's behind that and where are we going from here? We'll talk with a market analyst for CHS next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option the wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. 
Learn more by visiting BetterCleanerNow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Crop markets were pressured lower on Wednesday. Selling was stimulated by the newly begun downtrends, spec fund selling, and overall favorable U.S. weather conditions and forecasts. On the Board of Trade today, July corn trading 19 and a half cent higher at 6.43 and three quarters. The September contract up 16 and three quarters at 5.64. For soybeans, the July contract up 12 and a half cent at 15.16 and a fraction. The July contract up four. 14 cents at 1467. For wheats, the Chicago wheat July contract up 11 and three quarters at 660 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat July up 10 and a fraction at 609 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat July up 12 and a fraction at 693. The September contract up 12 and a fraction at 699 and three quarters. The weekly beef export sales report will be adjusted due to the error in reporting the amount of sales to the Netherlands last week. It is unclear how this may impact trading as this has already been known overall trade in livestock futures might slow as we approach the three-day weekend in cash cattle country it's quiet to start this morning following the last two days of light to moderate movement so far this week southern live deals have been marked at 119 to 120 dollars steady to a dollar higher than last week's weighted averages northern dress deals have had a full range of 187 dollars to 192 dollars mostly at 191 dollars for livestock on the Board of Trade, the June live cattle contract up 40 cents at 116.85. The August contract up 52 at 119.85. For feeder cattle, the August contract down 75 cents at 154.45. September down 72 at 156.37. Lean hogs, the July contract down a dime at 116.30. The June contract down two cents at 115.25. The U.S. dollar is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Raw. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's get some more market analysis. Joining us now is Kent Beadle, market analyst for CHS. Kent, thanks for joining us. With what's going on in the markets now, is is this a cool down or a meltdown? Well, I, I think what we had for most of this week was, uh, you know, it felt like a meltdown. Um, you know, it was being driven by worries about China, 
you know, we had the Biden administration pressing them on, on the origins of COVID again. We had stories in the marketplace about uh, Chinese interest in trying to press down the price of commodities uh, in their country. And uh, that somehow got interpreted as that they were going to cancel old crop exports. And, um, uh, you know, that got, the, that got the attention of our, of our speculative traders. And I think that they ended up moving out of a lot of positions here over the course of this week. And, you know, lo and behold, this morning we find out, uh, well, no, the Chinese weren't canceling old crop corn. In fact, over the course of the last week, they bought another three cargoes. And, of course, yesterday we had a, um, you know, we had a, a very nice reversal higher off of some major lows, major psychological lows, $6 in the old crop and $5 in the new crop corn. And all of a sudden, here we go. We're off to the races again, and it's um, uh, it's being led by the old crop, and it's being led by the you know the tight balance sheets, and the fact that uh, you know it's clear that that um, we aren't necessarily rationing any demand in either corner beans at, at this moment in time. Plus, we have this news that the Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service is forecasting an even higher record-breaking year for U.S. ag exports in fiscal year 2021. That provides uh, more encouragement, more strength, I would think, uh, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, certainly we're, we're buttressed here by the Chinese, and whether you believe that we're, we're exporting to China because of their internal needs, or because of the phase one agreement that was, you know, signed in early 2020, um, you know, it's hard to necessarily say. But when you look at Chinese prices, okay, and uh, their number one soybean contract settled uh, yesterday at $24 a bushel. Their number one corn contract settled at $10.98 a bushel. Now, that's an awful lot of uh, room to pay for the freight to get U.S. agricultural products from here to there. And it, it implies that they, uh, that they need the commodities. And so you know, that's why, to me, it was not a surprise to see some uh, additional old crop sales to the Chinese on this week's report. And, of course, we all know that we've uh, got a very large book on uh, for new crop. Uh, we've sold so far about 3 million tons of new crop soybeans, uh, but we've already sold uh, at least 9 million tons of new crop corn. And probably, uh, based on some um, sources, uh, you know, we may have sold as much as 12 to 15 million tons uh, of new crop corn, some of which are, are going to be announced um, you know, at, at future times. So uh, it's obviously on the export side, it's a... It's a really great uh, situation right now for American agriculture. Yeah, China not just buying grains and oil seeds, but they're buying a lot of beef, pork, and poultry, too. Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, of course, I mean, it, it was sort of the perfect storm, right? We got into this trade war, and they were trying to um, draw down their own domestic supplies of everything in advance of that trade war. Or, it, excuse me, they they... They attempted to 
you know, they, they effectively did draw down those supplies because of the trade war. And then what happened in the middle of that was uh, your, your African swine fever hit. And, um, and all of the sudden, you know, dr- the, the trade war drawing down commodities in general and then having the disease pressure that they had has essentially forced them to look at more poultry, uh, to look at more beef. And then as they've tried to bring their, po- uh, their hog production back, uh, they've started to run into some issues once again with ASF. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got an awful lot of mouths to feed over there. And, uh, you know, uh, food stability is probably one of the key drivers for uh, the Chinese government because it keeps that population uh, satiated and happy. And um, uh, we've definitely been the benefit of, uh, of a number of um uh, increases in in all of our protein products uh, to China, and we're, we're obviously very happy about that as well. We're talking with Kent Beadle, CHS market analyst. All right, Kent, let's look at these uh, grain markets and what's your outlook. Where do you, what do you see happening here as we go into these summer months? Well, what we have been forecasting all along is for a lot of volatility. Okay, um, and certainly that's what we're seeing. Uh, the, um, the, the sell-off that we've had over the past two or three weeks, um, I think, was driven by uh, the fast planting progress that occurred between uh, the last week in April and the second week in May. Um, you know, in the summertime, weather is always the most important factor for the marketplace. And that is, um, you know, that is what drives a lot of the money flow uh, into our uh, into our grain markets, and so as we we got off to a slower start than anticipated, that helped drive the rally. Uh, but then ultimately, getting the crop planted uh, is what you know drove the break. Now we're going to get focused on um, uh, you know soil moisture, temperatures, and we've got an awful long way to go uh, in order to get this crop in the bin. And so. Um, you know, we've got some problem spots. We've got uh, areas in the Dakotas and in Minnesota uh, where it has just been too dry. Uh, we're trying to get a little bit of uh, relief for that situation here with the system that's going on right now, but it's it's still somewhat spotty. Uh, you've also got some areas that are a little bit too wet. Western uh, Illinois, parts of Missouri, uh, we're hearing about, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, you know, five to seven inches of rain, uh, the necessity for some replant. Uh, so I think the next focus for the market is probably going to be Monday afternoon uh, on that uh, crop conditions report. We're going to get our first uh, uh, estimate of, of, of the good to excellent category. And, you know, I think that's going to be a very important number. Uh, my guess is that we're going to be in that 68 to 73% good to excellent. Uh, I don't think that uh, that's a bad number. Um, I don't think it'll be looked at bullishly, um, but uh, uh, but we're going to need to have good yields this year in order to uh, make next year's balance sheet resolve. And so uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to extend the rally that we have uh, real significantly. I think there's going to be some uh, hedging pressure on this rally from uh, the farmers who have crops that look pretty good. Uh, but I think the more important time that, that we may see some, some more significant price strength 
is when we get into that later July or later June into July and August when we're going to be in the reproductive phase. If we would happen to get some heat, if we would happen to get some dryness develop, uh, if we don't resolve some of the dry issues in the Dakotas and Minnesota, and we end up with heat later on this summer, that's when the markets could really um, end up being uh, quite a bit higher than where they are today. Yep. Uh, Monday's a holiday, so I guess we'll wait till Tuesday to get that those uh, planting numbers probably. So, uh, 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 that's correct. Uh, Monday's yeah. would be a good day to uh, remember everybody who served this country. Right. Um, real quick before we let you go, what do you think we'll see from USDA at the end of June on their acres numbers? Uh, we have an estimate or uh, you know, I have my estimate at about 83, uh, excuse me, 93 and a half million acres of corn and 88 and a half million acres of soybeans. So I do expect uh, acres in, in both corn and soybeans to be higher. I do not expect them to be quite as high as uh, some of the trade estimates. We saw one here about a week and a half ago that was as high as uh, uh, 96.8 million acres, I think, was the IHS market number. And uh, we don't believe that we can add that many acres back in. Uh, the largest increase in corn acres from the prospective plantings to the June report going back to 2007 is uh, 2.8 million acres. And if we go up to 93.5, that would actually be a 3.4 million acre, or a 2.4 million acre increase, excuse me. Um, so we think it will be at the high end of history, but we don't think it's going to exceed history by very much because we just didn't get off to that quick of a start. Uh, I don't think that we have the ability to bring too many additional marginal acres into production. And uh, now that um, uh, you know we're at late May, and that's typically the time where you might see some of those acres get opened up, uh, we're quite a bit cheaper than we were, and I'm just not so sure that the incentive is there anymore to do that. We will watch uh, closely. A lot of attention will be on that uh, June 30th report. Kent, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Have a good holiday weekend. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for taking the time with me today. All right. Take care. CHS Market Analyst Kent Beadle. All right. Coming up, World Pork Expo returns June 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. We'll talk with World Pork Expo manager Doug Fricke about plans for this year's event. That's next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me 
Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Adams on Agriculture, conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. Overall, how does the ag economy look to you right now? It looks pretty strong right now. USDA has its projections out and they're talking about a well above average year. And we're expecting when you add these past two years together, that's going to help recover from the previous five. If you think about 2015 through 2019, those were all well below average income years for most of agriculture. And we saw deterioration in balance sheets and stress on farms. And now if projection is true for 21, we hope to have two pretty good years, but still, there's still some stress out there. Those balance sheets aren't built back to where they were coming out of, say, 2013, 2014. So we think we've got a ways to go, but good news so far, except especially in dairy, where these feed prices are really a challenge because the margin on the other side just isn't there. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. 
Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Want to update a story from yesterday? We were talking with the National Pork Producers Council about uh, their concern over a court ruling against faster line speeds at packing plants and how that decision they felt could cost um, pork producers, especially smaller producers, a lot of money. And the National Pork Producers Council was urging USDA to appeal that court decision. But word now is the Department of Agriculture will not appeal that ruling. The administration had until the end of June to make its decision on how to handle that uh, court ruling. And um, it looks like USDA is not planning on appealing it. So we will see where that goes. Uh, certainly that is a big concern for the pork industry with those with that court decision. And it looks like uh, they're going to go ahead with uh, slowing down those line speeds. And we'll see if there's any further action on that. But right now, the uh, plan, it seems to be by USDA not to appeal the court decision. So we will continue to watch that story. And we continue to watch all these stories going on in our nation's capital uh, with these proposals for some big spending in some areas and uh, also plans to make the changes in taxes to pay for them. Big concern for agriculture really puts agriculture in a tough spot in that they are in many ways seeing proposals for funding in areas that they've long called for uh, increases in funding but along with it comes the pay for the how to pay for those and a lot of that tax changes that really when it comes to stepped up bases and a lot of these issues uh, inheritance taxes, things like that. These are areas and issues that agriculture has drawn a line in the sand on and said, we don't want to go there. And uh, even if it uh, means getting some of the, could cost some of the funding for these programs that they so much want, but they feel in the long run that the tax changes that are being proposed would be more harmful than, than the good of the uh, the funding for the program. So we will see how this all plays out and keep you up to date on that as well. All right, we're still waiting to hear from Doug Fricky, manager of World Pork Expo. We want to talk about how plans are going for this year's event, which is coming up June 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. This will be the first time in quite a while for World Pork Expo. Two years ago, it was uh, canceled because of concerns over African swine fever. And last year, of course, concerns over COVID. So it's been a long while, quite a delay since we've last had a World Pork Expo. So looking forward to getting back to the Iowa State Fairgrounds for that event. I'll be broadcasting from World Pork Expo the first two days of the event, June 9th and 10th. So looking forward to seeing a lot of folks from the pork industry 
in person at World Pork Expo coming up again June 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Another big uh, story that we'll be watching as well, and again, this comes from the legal system and a court case, a federal judge has rejected a $2 billion plan that was offered by Bayer to uh, address the proposed class of plaintiffs who have been exposed to Roundup but have not filed lawsuits against the company, saying the uh, benefits of the proposed settlement have been exaggerated. And in particular, U.S. District Judge as a, a U.S. district judge has said potential class members would be giving up too much to join the class, including the right to sue for punitive damages if they do contact or contract a non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So that is a big, big ruling by a judge in that bare settlement case and remains to be seen where it will go from here. But uh, certainly, um, though there'll be some ramifications from this decision to be sure. And we'll see what Bear's next course of action will be as we continue to watch a lot of uh, uh, legal cases and the decisions coming down, certainly impacting agriculture. And again, uh, we mentioned this as we talked just moments ago with Kent Beadle, but some encouraging news some uh, very good news from the Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service now forecasting an even higher record-breaking year for U.S. ag exports in fiscal year 2021. The agency raised its forecast for U.S. ag exports to $164 billion. That's a $7 billion increase from the February forecast. All right, now, joined by Doug Fricke, manager of World Pork Expo. Doug, thanks for joining us. Just wanted to find out how our plans going for this year's event. Plans are going great. Uh, right now we've got, uh, you know, some rain coming through. And yesterday we were out marking off uh, our hospitality tents and outdoor spaces. And uh, it was kind of exciting to get out and do those sorts of things. So looking forward to it. For those going to Expo this year, uh, will there be any extra precautions because of COVID? How are you dealing with that? What are the protocols? Well, we're uh, going according to the CDC guidelines. So right now, if uh, you know if if those have been uh, vaccinated, uh, you can walk around without a mask if you feel like it. If you're uh, not vaccinated, uh, we're recommending that uh, indoors you can wear a mask. Um, but it's it's not a requirement at this point. The uh, the other things we are going to have some biosecurity checkpoints around the uh, uh, several locations on the fairground so that'll be a another thing that uh folks will uh find handy um so yeah there's uh there's a lot of new things that uh, will also be taking place and a little a few changes just based on uh what we're doing this year for the show june 9th 10th and 11th it'll be good to have world pork expo back Absolutely, absolutely. And you still have time if you can get on and, and register in the next few days online. Uh, save yourself a few dollars on uh, a three-day name badge. So if you go to worldpork.org, uh, go on to the attendee uh, page and uh, click on registration and get your information in and we'll get you uh, a name badge for all three days. Very good, Doug. We'll see you soon at World Pork Expo. Thanks. Sounds great. Thank you. Doug Fricky, manager of World Pork Expo. Again, coming up June 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. 
Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.